0: I do not know if I have the founder DNA. I see tremendous founders um, nowadays, and uh, could I be part of the jungle again and the uncertainty? Uh, I I don't know.
1: Welcome to The Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvain.
2: Eduard, very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Silvan. Also, a great pleasure to be part of the show. So before we get started, a quick introduction about you. You are the head of partnerships at Wingman Ventures, a Swiss-based VC fund, which invests in seed and pre-seed stages. And before we actually talk about what you're just building with Wingman Ventures, I want to go back to your personal background. You started in Switzerland, of course. But you also did an exchange semester at the McGill University in Montreal, which is well known for being a very entrepreneurial university. So, what did you actually take away from your exchange semester?
0: Yeah, so it's amazing that you did uh, so much uh, background research. I did indeed spend uh, a full year there, so two two academic terms, uh, as part of my bachelor studies. Uh, took classes. Broth from the economic side and and the financial slash management side at the Des Hotel Management School. Uh, so yeah, it was a completely different vibe, uh, even though it's in Canada and in actually in the French-speaking part, which is more uh, City, which is Montreal, or bilingual. Should I should I say uh, the, the the campus atmosphere was very much like those in the US, and so I just got uh,
2: confronted to a completely different culture than than here in Switzerland. Yeah. Did it? You know, did you notice any difference in terms of entrepreneurship or the presence of entrepreneurship at the university in Canada versus Switzerland? So back then, I wasn't exposed that
0: much to the uh, startup scene uh, back in the in, in my bachelor studies. To be honest with you, uh, actually, I, I got uh, to be confronted to entrepreneurship much later on, uh, probably after my master's degree. Uh, so, so what I, I did notice, obviously, the, the different culture with students that were completely. Um, Outgoing when it came to management uh, uh, courses and uh, projects, uh, group projects, uh, where we 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 a bit more introverted on the HSE Lausanne side, or at least we were back in the days, and they they were
2: completely outgoing, public speakers, which we weren't. So this is the type <laughs> yeah. of difference uh, that that I would see. Uh, right, that, yeah. probably the regular North American Europe difference that you would
0: expect to a certain degree. One of them, and if I may add something, sure. uh, another another difference would be also the the. the the party culture, uh, which was uh, pretty crazy back then, um, I remember that uh, there, there were no lectures on, on Fridays at the at the Des Hotel Management School. Instead, on, on Thursday afternoon, uh, after the last lecture of the week, you you they would open up the the, um, the lower floors, and you would actually have music and beers uh, over, over there. That was that was crazy to, to to experience. Sounds like a
2: throwback to the good student life. Absolutely. <laughs> And then actually you dived into the world of entrepreneurship after your civil service. You found a startup called, I hope I pronounce it correctly, NCD. Um I right. don't know how you correctly say it. But you then also went through the actual mass challenge program, but did not end up succeeding with the startup. So what went wrong? What did you take away from it? Yeah. So NCD, uh, I,
0: I like to call it a project because really we, we did not take it uh, that far. Uh, and I never talk about it because to me, uh, it's, still so, somewhat of a failure and I should probably be completely uh, uh, open about it, but I don't like to talk about it, but bec- because it's you, Sylvain, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to do it today. Uh, but yeah, so basically the product wa- was not really solving a point, at least not to the extent that you could monetize it. The idea was to enable creators on, on YouTube and different platforms to uh, interact with their, their fan base and let mm-hmm. their fan base... Kind of tell the creators what they wanted in a kind of Reddit type feed with upvotes and downvotes, uh, and uh, the creators would then kind of follow the the, the recommendations of, of the fan base. Actually, I got a bit of traction. We had a few hundreds uh, of active creators on a weekly basis and a few thousand uh, people on the fanbase because the distribution was quite easy. The creators would just share that on on YouTube as they mm-hmm. posted a video. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it was more of a side uh, gig. But indeed, it took me to mass challenge and. In a way, I'm grateful because it kind of uh, kick started uh,
2: the, uh, the, the, let's say, entrepreneurial uh, career I'm part of now. Yeah, And I just wonder you said before at the university you weren't that exposed to entrepreneurship. So, where did that motivation come from to actually you know dive into entrepreneurship? Yeah, so first of all, it was a bit accidental the way I, I um,
0: ended up working on this project, slash, startup in CD and, and then joining Mass Challenge. Uh, back in my master's degree, so I studied uh, at St. Gallen, uh, quantitative economics and finance. I was meant to join the banking sector, uh, but was actually influenced by my brother who worked on a, was already back then working on a startup named Metaco, which which is uh, very much uh, live still today, um, a, f- a fintech based in Lausanne. And so from then I got inspired and, uh, and was taken on that path.
2: Got it. So basically, your brother took you to the dark side, to the side of entrepreneurship. That's pretty much it. I don't think I even told him that, but that's pretty much it. (laughs) You also did some internships at banks, right? Because that was really the path that you would expect from a Husky student. Then, you know, was there any certain moment or anything your brother told you that then put you on the other track of, of being an entrepreneur? So, so first of all, um, the, um, the steps I took in the banking
0: directions were more by default. I didn't know what to do. Even in my master's degree, I wasn't inspired by, by uh, this kind of banking path. But um, indeed, that's the traditional path one would um, pursue after uh, such uh, studies. Um, I don't remember specific words from my brother, but I remember that we had... Evening, uh, afternoon, evening conversations where he would tell me about uh, his ideas, and uh, he would kind of entice me to ha- to help him build some stuff, which I did not take so much action back then. But but he 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 was very much proactive already back then, and kind of the DNA you would expect from an entrepreneur. And I must say that yes, um, uh, there is a very clear causation uh, for me taking that path.
2: Yeah, makes sense. So yeah. you made your first steps in the entrepreneurial world, but your first startup didn't work out. Many people have probably just said, that's it, I tried entrepreneurship, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. What kept you going?
0: Okay, so the, um, probably it's the segue between the first startup and me joining the Master Launch team. Uh, I remember that back then I would take small pleasures in kind of helping others, achieve something. So other entrepreneurs achieve a little something, meaning uh, when I made this key introduction from a founder to a VC that led to an investment round, or from a founder to a corporate that led to a proof of concept, uh, those those were the, the little sparks that uh, kind of brought joy to me in a way. Uh, and, and so um, um, so I would say that th- th- this feeling is what kept me on the entrepreneurship kind of uh, track uh,
2: that I am uh, uh, right now. So probably also the the feeling of having an impact, the positive impact on other people, not other companies. Yeah, you you put it in uh, in the the best possible terms. That's precisely that. <laughs> Fantastic. And you mentioned Mass Challenge. You joined Mass Challenge in 2016, a global zero equity startup accelerator, also based in Switzerland and basically spread all over the world. In in what way has your first startup that didn't work out actually helped you to land a job at Mass Challenge or to join the team there?
0: You know, um, actually, Mass Challenge, like Wingman Ventures, both is just uh, um, circumstances, if I can say that, mm-hmm. and just uh, relationships built with the people in the organizations, relationships and trust built over time. So, Mass Challenge, what happened is um, this startup was part of the first batch of Mass Challenge. And there I got to meet the kind of the operating team there and uh, trust was built over the course of the summer. Uh, And as my startup was seemingly going nowhere, um, some informal discussions took place within the accelerator where um, a key person there uh, told me, uh, Hey, we actually have, we we have a need uh, in manpower. Uh,
2: What are you up to? And it kind of happened organically like this. Makes sense. Was there also a certain point when you decided to shut down uh, your first startup or a point in time where you said, hey, this is going nowhere, now I quit? Because that's usually a pretty difficult decision, but also not that easy to really realize, okay, this is going nowhere or it's actually needing a bit more time and I focus and put some more energy behind it. How did you make that decision? It wasn't uh, easy at first because I was um,
0: stubborn. Even though uh, in retrospect, as I told you a bit earlier, I think there was no viable path to actually scale this Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's quite clear, uh, it's quite trivial to see now. Uh, but back then, yeah, I, I had the head in the sand, my head in the sand, and it wasn't a trivial decision. But, you know, you can get the sense of the trade-off where, where when you you start spending too much time on something that doesn't scale. So when you are 6, 12, 18 months in a project and it's not scaling, um, if, if you are a bit self-critical, you understand that uh, th- there is a serious considerations to take. And in that case, it was uh, clear that uh, I should... Uh, Uh, actually go back and kind of build uh, myself up to to something more traditional, traditional jobs, Mm. and then perhaps uh, go back uh, and execute on something else. And why not going back into banking? No, I mean banking. uh, (laughs) So banking, to be honest with you, after uh, my first two two internships, I knew it wasn't... uh, Well, I knew I would never enjoy my work. So I could do that by default and have a a decent uh, uh, wage, and, uh, and just um, get by month after month. Uh, yeah, sure, I could have done that, but I would certainly not have been happy. And, um, and um, although banking could have been something where, um, yeah, I mean, after a failure, I could have potentially bounced back there. Uh, the, the master the opportunity made sense. Uh, there was a fit with the team, and so um, I did not even consider anything else.
2: Makes sense. And Mass Challenge is, as we mentioned before, a zero equity startup accelerator. So people might wonder how does Mass Challenge actually make money because you also have bills to pay and salaries to pay, right? Yep. So Mass Challenge is a foundation, so it's a non
0: profit, and actually the business model or the the way Mass Challenge runs on a, its its operations on a yearly basis. <clears throat> is quite trivial you have actually corporates a set of corporates big corporates from switzerland mainly mm-hmm. uh, which are um, supporting the program financially with a contribution uh, financial contribution on a yearly basis to essentially cover our, our operational costs and also the the prize money that we um, award to the startup on a okay. yearly basis got it
2: and, you know, building a mass challenge in Switzerland, that's a big challenge by itself. So what were some of the toughest challenges that you had to overcome during your job there? So to be very fair, um,
0: we always had kind of a, a lead managing director who, who was taking a lot on his shoulders. Uh, so we had Thierry uh, Duvanel and then we had Matt Lashmar back to back, uh, still, still there, Matt. Uh, and they, they were taking a lot of the heavy lifting uh, and kind of uh, making sure that the the corporates would get enough value out of the program because even though it's a non-profit, a foundation, uh, in the end, there needs to be some form of... um, of, of value for the corporates. It can be defined in several ways, but there needs to be something. Mm-hmm. So on my side, it w- I was more focused on the, on the startups side, actually. So making sure that uh, startups are connected within the right players in the Swiss ecosystem, uh, also on the corporate side from time to time, um, on the VC side uh, with specific individuals
2: and mentors, I would say. Makes sense. And what did you actually take away from your four years at Mass Challenge? Because I feel like you know almost everybody involved in the startup ecosystem by now. <laughs>
0: well, Sylvain, uh, you too, actually. So it, it makes uh, two of us. Uh, but uh, no, I, I'm not there. I, I know uh, many, many people, but uh, not everyone. Uh, but uh, also what I realize uh, over time is that um, it's one thing to know people, but it, it's um, another to actually have deep relationship, meaningful relationship, relationships uh, with them. And I try also not to work a bit on the latter. But clearly what I took um, from those four years or what those four years enabled me to do is indeed alongside the job. And as part of the job, I was able to kind of get to know the different um, actors in the ecosystem on all, on all sides, uh, whether uh, VCs, corporates, startups, founders. And um, and I think it's important to always think about how in the interest of your current job, which at the time was a mass challenge, you can still um, kind of add ages and add um, um stuff to 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 your own self and network is one of them Mm -hmm. and you should constantly think about uh, how to build it how to make it uh, uh more meaningful and more
2: resilient makes sense and then in 2020 you actually decided to join the wingman ventures team what made you switch from the accelerator to the investor side and not going back to the founder side for example
0: so in in you, in uh, humility, I do not know if I have the founder DNA. I see tremendous founders um, nowadays, and uh, could I be part of the jungle again and the uncertainty? Uh, I I don't know, and um, and so I have tremendous respect for them because I, and I don't consider myself to be part of them at least not for now. Um, so what made me switch uh, again? It's uh, very circ- circumstantial. It's um trust built between uh, the team, the, the partner team at Wingman over time uh, just by small actions and time spent together. Um, uh, team Wingman ended up doing a uh, few investments that, um, that uh, were recommended by me from the French speaking part. And at some point uh, we, we had a discussion that actually I was not expecting, but uh, uh, they, they asked me, hey, why, why don't you do it from the inside uh, as opposed uh,
2: from the outside? And it just yeah. uh, started like this. So again, a very natural development, basically. Yeah. And we know you're focusing on pre-seed and seed fundraising or actually investments, but what's your real investment focus beyond that? Do you have anything particular that you're focusing on with Wingman Ventures?
0: Yeah. So first on the technicalities, so you, you mentioned correctly, pre-seed, seed, strictly on the Swiss, Swiss geography. Yep. and today in all industries except biotech and medtech. So first, these are the technicalities. Then what we look at would be very much aligned with a lot of other funds. We look at teams where you get a wow effect. Uh, And this is very rare. This, This happens once a month, once every two months that you get this team where just a few minutes within the first call, you, you get this amazing feeling and you know that they, they are onto something big and it might as well fail at some point, but they are building something big and you trust them. So we are looking at teams first and then we, um, second variable, important variable would be the, the market, uh, the market size. And if the product is the right um um, is the right tool to address and to cater that market. So once you you have the combination of, of the team and the market within the technicalities that I previously mentioned, uh, this is an investment
2: for us. Makes sense. And you know, everybody's also talking about smart money when it comes to seeking or looking for investors. So in what ways Wingman ventures smart money? Mm-hmm. So well, I can tell you a bit about how we support um,
0: our portfolio startups. Uh, We do this in several ways. So first of all, we have functional team members. So we have Emily, our CFO, and uh, Gabrielle, our legal counsel. Um, On finance and legal, they already spend over half of their time with our portfolio startups to make sure that they are bulletproof ready for the next financing round, 18 months after they get money from us. Uh, So the startups can just book an hour with them and brainstorm about projections, financial projections, or just uh, how to make... um, how to get ready for the the future due diligence at uh, seed or series a mm-hmm. uh, we are already talking about expanding the the functional the functions uh, the, those exp- function experts uh, to mm-hmm. other things that are uh, critical to and uh, seed startups uh, perhaps on the client side perhaps on the talent side um so this would be a set of of uh, support that we provide the other one is the partner team so you know alex uh, pascal and lucas Um, Similarly, so um, Alex uh, has tremendous uh, VC experience, uh, probably seven years in the bank already. And um, I saw firsthand how strong Alex is for the next fundraises of our portfolio startups. So we have a very broad network of European VCs at Seed and Series A, and there it makes it so much easier for our portfolio startups to get the first 30, 40, 50 initial calls uh, with those VCs and end up with a few term sheets. And then you have Pascal and Lucas, uh, whom you, already, you also know. They bring um, founder experience to the table and they are very strong in specific deba- departments. Could be HR, internationalization, uh, business development, marketing. And there again, our portfolio startups would simply book time with them
2: uh, an hour, two hour slot and have a workshop and just brainstorm about uh, how to execute. Yeah, I remember back in the days when we were still building Chimhopper, our very own startup, we also had a workshop with them that was incredibly valuable and also lots of fun at the same time. So really, really cool and also a very strong team from my perspective. Now, you also raised a $76 million, uh, fund in September 2020, which was probably the highest amount raised by a Swiss seed stage fund ever so far. And I also just wonder, you mentioned a few investment focus parts and you focus on the team, but just in general, is there anything else you would like to add about how you actually, you know, tell the wheat from the chaff or how you select the right startups? To, to be honest with you,
0: it's uh, okay. So we have uh, formal processes internally. We have a formal um, um, in, investment process. And I, actually, generally, I, I work at the top of the funnel where I, I kind of have the first touch point with the startups we want to take a serious look at. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we actually rank the startups against a few cr- criterion. I mentioned some. There is the team, the market, the, the, the product, the um, the, the, the conditions of the round so uh, there is a there, there is a, bun, a set of, of things we look at but at the end when when it comes to to decision time a consensus is generally formed but to be honest with you sometimes it's more art than science we but right so so let's say consensus was built around the table we want to do it and uh, but it could be that we we graded the startup pretty poorly in certain areas but still we, mm-hmm. we built uh, the needed conviction to do it Got it.
2: So when it actually comes to make an investment decision, you just described it's more art and science. Do you actually need to have the buy-in of all your team members to actually make an investment, or do you also invest without having the consensus of all the team members combined? Yeah. So today it's very much,
0: very much consensus-driven. Um, even uh, those among the team who are not partners act- are actually involved in the in the final discussions. Uh, give their opinion, and um, um, and what is funny is that every, you know, when you decide to do an investment, it's it's not um, it doesn't happen in just one meeting. You you circle back with the founders. You discuss some terms. You discuss a bit the valuation, and throughout those feedback loops, the whole team is involved. Um, the whole six of us we give our opinions, and um, and, and uh, indeed the consensus and decisions are driven by this.
2: Makes sense. Are there also any red flags that you see as an investor that then stops you from making an investment?
0: So, founding teams, again, if we see founders with whom the chemistry is not proper, um, could be um, for, for many reasons, but um, a founder could very much be a red flag. Uh, we saw that several times in the past. Um, I'm thinking about other blockers. We certainly have some. Uh, we Yes, CapTable would be one. So if we see, for instance, that a uh, a startup we are interested in have a cap table whereby most of the founding team um, do not own a signifi- significant uh, percentage of, of the startup any longer because they've been diluted by previous rounds or um, mm-hmm. um, poor uh, negotiated previous rounds, then we, we dislike that. So we would try to actually negotiate on behalf of the founders because we think it's in the founder's interest, but also in our interest to have the founders own a very big stake as we take part in a round. Yeah. But if we think this is not achievable, we might simply pass on
2: a deal because of that. What's a significant share? 50 plus percent or even more than that?
0: More than that. I think um, after our, our investment, we would hope that the the founders and sometimes including the option pool would still have 75, 80 percent of uh, the equity.
2: Yeah, I think that's really important to have enough skin in the game, as they call it, right?
0: Yes. And and again, very much in in also the VCs interest because the tier one VCs in Europe, uh, this is also a parameter they look at. So when we look at that ourselves, we know that in the next round, if this is not dealt with properly, uh, this will cost us some of the best VCs in Europe.
1: This episode was brought to you by Swisspreneur's main partner, Clara Business, the digital all-in-one solution for small businesses. Managing internal processes manually and on paper wastes an incredible amount of time. That's why Clara digitizes everything, allowing you to focus on what really matters, your core business. Go to clara.ch to find out how your business administration can be simpler, faster, and more efficient. Again, that's clara.ch. And now, on with the show.
2: Another issue with the cap table can be that you have too many different investors on there. Is that also an issue or is that something that you say it's not that big of a problem as long as the founders have these 75 to 80 percent?
0: Many VCs will tell you that this is a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, I cannot say that we like it. We probably dislike it, but um, we are tolerating it. At least for now, we've done one or two investments where actually there were many micro angels in there and... If the founders, for some reasons, wanted them on board, because one, uh, they helped in the past, or two, um, it it makes whatever sense for the founders to have them, maybe they are also smart money, then we, we tolerate that, this is
2: fine. Makes sense. So now we talked about your focus and how you actually select or deselect startups to invest in. You recently also launched a new initiative called the Wingman Campus Fund. Can you talk a bit more about how that actually got realized and put into practice and also what your focus there is, what, what your goal is with the Wingman Campus Fund.
0: Yeah. So we starting last December 2020, we we began to have discussions about um, about activities on campuses. So uh, you, you defined us as a precedence in fund. And for us, it is key to, to kind of um, be close, as close as possible to potential founders. And looking at our portfolio, we saw that most of the investments we, we, we did in practice came from those three hotspots where the Wingman Campus Fund will be active, which are eti EPFL, and Heisges and Gallen. So so the, the intent... Um, uh, so essentially, the, the discussions we had... Uh, in December, led us to say, hey, we need to do something. And um, they were very much informal. Uh, but in G- January, we we then looked at very seriously what were the different options we could activate. Uh, and we looked at a range of different, um, let's say, programs that uh, Tier 1 VCs in the US would do mm-hmm. on key campuses, could be MIT, Harvard, um, Stanford, etc., Um, Very interesting programs, by the way, but we felt that uh, the the Campus Fund was achieving uh, uh, many strategic objectives, one of which is to be as close as possible to to the founders or future founders from the university side, Uh, but also uh, was very much actually helping the ecosystem. Um, and perhaps this is something you want to touch upon in, in a moment um, but uh, uh, we felt uh, like it was an amazing opportunity to train a future generation of, of uh, VCs investors uh, that are students on those campuses and uh, also in, in a way it enabled us to have um, uh, 5, 10 students per campus who are motivated, intrinsically motivated to to be out there and to to find out about the latest stuff that is going on. So it's really very much a, a triple win where <clears throat> On the one side, we are as close to founders as possible. On the other, we get to train um, the next generation of VC investors. And um, finally, we, we actually get to to support uh, the, the, um, s- starter, the, the, the um, university founders who get that initial check of money alongside the other existing programs and uh, also a, a network that we will open up to them, uh, which will enable them to connect with the right mentors or... Mm-hmm. Um, get their first
2: uh, corporate clients so please tell us a bit more about how the campus fund actually works like what do the founders get at what stage how do you select them please tell us more details about how you actually operate
0: <laughs> so so yeah uh, sure so we are not i must say and every time i present the program to any party it could be a potential student that want to join us or a, a mentor um, i'm always saying we are not reinventing the wheel we are um, taking a program that has been battle tested in the US for close to 10 years which is the Dormum fund we are taking it to the Swiss market and we are making a few twists to uh, adapt it to the local market that is Switzerland and so concretely what we want to achieve is that the, um, the student teams who get to who get to receive an investment from us and from the campus fund uh, will obtain 20 20 20k Swiss franc. And an access to a pool of mentors that are startup founders and operators, as well as access to corporates for the first proof of concept. So that's the package they get. It's just not just money. I think money is just half of it, and money is also complementary to other programs that are part um, mm-hmm. of the, the university ecosystem. And the but the important part is that those five to ten students that who are training. Uh, those 5 to 10 students per campus uh, whom we are training to become VC investors, they are fully responsible for this fund. So they at the university level, um, so let's say that you have a team of 5 to 10 students at ETA, those are rep- responsible for finding student teams to support, uh, qualifying them, selecting those who, who are worthy of an investment and then writing the checks. So it's mm-hmm. a completely hands-off approach for us, except me who will kind of be on the back end, a bit operationally, making sure that everything is smooth. Right. Uh, but those five to 10 students per campus are empowered to do the whole process end to end.
2: Damn, I wish I could go back to university. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, usually I guess these students, they don't really have a company founded yet, right? So are these 20K also there to actually... Found your GmbH or anything of that sort, to, like the legal form of the company, or how do you deal with that?
0: Yep. So, we are actually in the midst of discussing this uh, with uh, Gabriel, our Lingan Council. This, we believe, will not be needed. Incorporation will not be needed. Um, mm-hmm. What will be needed is the intent to incorporate in the future. So uh, we don't expect, um, first of all, we would probably not want the students to to incorporate uh, uh, GMBA because uh, they will anyway need um, an AG later on. Yes. Uh, So it's just that whenever they do go for the AG incorporation, they have those 20K that they can can leverage among the other programs um, uh, that are part of the university ecosystem. Uh, But um, so incorporation is not needed. Uh, All we want is um, super cool student teams. Uh, Mm -hmm. starting to work on a project could be ideation stage, ideally just after that, but
2: uh, we will play very, very early on. Makes sense. So then how do you actually structure that? Do you give them the 20K just as soon as they found the legal company or do you give them the money beforehand as a personal loan with a convertible note or how do you actually do that? Yeah, so um, you have to think about it as a pure
0: VC uh, VC um, program yeah. whereby you will have our student teams who will essentially be on the campus kind of st- scouting potential projects to invest in similarly you will have students who will apply on our website to get the funding and then we will have an investment process not the same as in wingman ventures but we will have a dedicated investment process where those startups will be qualified All those student teams will be qualified Mm -hmm. all the way to an investment committee where the the student, our uh, students, the so-called partners of Wingman Campus Fund will then vote for an investment uh, or a pass. Um, Yeah.
2: Got it. And in that regard, I also wonder why was the timing right to launch something like that right now in 2021 and not earlier or later down the road?
0: So actually we moved super fast because... um, <clears throat> As I mentioned earlier, we, the, the, the informal discussions we had um, dates back to December and the, the formal ones to January. So within two and a half months, we, we had enough substance, we believed, to announce the program, which we did uh, a, a few weeks ago. Um, the, the timeline is such that... Um, we feel like the ecosystem is becoming more and more mature the swiss ecosystem and it's great for startups they have so many players they can they can uh, play with when it comes to raising money or or getting other type of support but we felt to to keep innovating and to keep being part of this maturity trend and to keep being relevant in, in a way in the next years mm-hmm. we needed to take action and this is oh. this is the reason why we move fast
2: fantastic and I also I just have to ask you again on on that one, but the strategic rationale behind it. What is more important to you, early access to deal flow, as you know, ba- basically get access to the deals be- before the companies are even founded, or access to potential new talent to also run Wingman Ventures as a fund?
0: I think you, you you touch about two two points that are important. So on on the one side, we feel like in, a, in a, an ecosystem that's becoming more and more mature, it is important to get to know founders early and be able to to be known as a brand and to build a relationship with them yeah. because it is never a given that you can actually invest in the startups you want to invest. There is, um, with maturity, there is there is a competition increasing and therefore you need to be differentiated and you you need to be able to present your assets. And so this is a way to be as close as students, entrepreneurs, as, as possible, we believe. So this mm-hmm. is definitely a strategic goal. And then within those around 20 to 30 students that we will train every year, indeed, so empirically, what we see from the US programs is that a third of them go into, make it into the VC industry, but the rest would either go incorporate for the, for the smallest part, or most interestingly, join a scale-up or start their own company. Okay. And clearly within those 20 to 30 f- um, students that we will train every year, we believe that, over time, we will get ambassadors that might start something of their own and then yeah. get funded from us or refer a deal to us three years down the road. Uh, we, we, we do believe that there will be positive externalities associated to this over time.
2: Right. I really like that. it's You're playing the long-term game. That's something I always admire and appreciate. Is there any specific, you know, KPI or KPIs that you're looking at? Because at the end, you also have to justify your monetary and time investment that you put into this.
0: We did not... Uh, um, we did not pencil down any KPI at this stage. We What we want to achieve, and we do not see any reason why we couldn't, is to make those investments as a whole profitable. So uh, if you look at the, in the US, the Dormum Fund, it is a microfund uh, of a few millions. And now they, they are raising actually a, uh, uh, a fund in, in the, the double digits to expand across more uh, campuses. Well, the, those those micro funds have been profitable and um, uh, we believe that if we pick the right talent to run the whole show uh, as part of the Wingman Campus Fund, mm-hmm. the, the, the right students, we believe they'll make the right picks and that uh, there will be those few picks per year that will actually um, make the fund profitable as a well.
2: whole. Got it. That makes sense. Let's also talk about some obstacles and challenges. I can imagine. You know, you mentioned the time you went through. You know, idea phase to execution phase in a super short amount of time. At the same time, I can also imagine that there will be more challenges coming down your way because students they usually change every one to three year. You will have to deal with different students. Is that something that you view as an obstacle or a challenge to solve? Yeah. So turnover. <clears throat> I think in any program you want to
0: have a little bit of. Um residual uh, in the teams uh, from one year to the other in order to keep the know-how internally. So clearly this is one of the uh, considerations that we had in mind and uh, we're actually discussing about this now. It's not so urgent obviously because um, the the, the, um, key decisions will have to be taken in early 2022 when we will do the first, um, uh, I mean the rollout to the second wave of students uh but the um, i think the the idea would be that um there is a small percentage of the students who actually do a second year in order to kind of keep this um, to internalize this know-how at the same time we do want a certain turnover because it's also a, a lever for us to get to train more students which which is one of the prime uh, prime objectives of the program so there is a trade-off between the two but certainly i think it will go through uh, keeping a certain number of students from one year to the other
2: makes sense Another challenge I can imagine is getting approval or onboarding the universities, because some of them are pretty protective when it comes to, you know, external initiatives. So how did you solve that? How did you also onboard universities that you work with or just, you know, get them on board basically? Yeah. So...
0: One thing I need to start with is that, um, to be very clear, we have not a formal approval from from any of the three universities. Uh, At this stage, we have very much touch points with all of them, but we uh, we have no official green light. Uh, We believe that there are other programs, other external programs who have been implemented in the universities in the interest of the startups, in the interest of the university ecosystem and that we are part of this. And uh, hopefully uh, that the the universities and and from the science that we are getting, uh, they are. uh, But hopefully they will um, uh, be uh, completely fine with this. Uh, But to be honest, it's simply like any other thing. It's a relationship building game where you want to make sure to be connected to the right person at those universities and um, educate them about the the program and let them visualize why the program is benefiting everyone. And generally, actually, you get
2: them on board through that. Makes sense. At the same time, there were also people from ETH that actually launched the initiative called S2S Ventures, also a student-run VC. What's the difference between the two initiatives?
0: Yeah, so here I want to trade my words very carefully because I'm not... uh, entitled to speak in their name, I believe. Uh, and and um, but my understanding of the differences are that S2S will work on equity rounds. So we will work on so-called safe rounds or convertible rounds. S2S will work on equity rounds and will work in um, in generally bigger checks. So uh, we will we will invest 20Ks through safes and they will invest anywhere from 20 to 150k in equity. So this is one of the first differences. Another one is that the way they are built, they work very closely with student associations throughout Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, essentially, the, the most important ones uh, at the, the three universities. And um, a committee is assembled through those universities that then decides upon investment um, uh, opportunities. Uh, whereas, we have teams that are uh, more local to the university level. Uh, so, each of our three teams will basically take decisions. Um, independently of the of the two others. Uh, what I want to point out is that the fact that there is S2S, that there is us, that there is Kick and uh, university grants as a whole, I think is a tremendous news for uh, the startups. Because uh, yeah. now if you're a, a, a founder team um, just uh, emerging out of, um, out of, let's say, ETA, you, you can activate so many levels and you can get your first 300K so easily. You can get 150K at VentureKick another 150 at, at uh, S2S, uh, 20K with us. Uh, there, there are a bunch of, of grants. And then when you want to go for your first 500K or million, uh, there are VCs like us uh, ready to, to write the first check. So, I mean, to me, uh, there has never been uh, such great news that now for, for uh, student uh, teams, because uh, capital is here and it's quite easy to get the first 100Ks uh, of, of funding.
2: Certainly a really good time to found a startup, I would say. 100%. In that regard, you mentioned, you know, the 20K that you invest through the Campus Fund and the others investing 100, 200K. Are you afraid a bit of, you know, losing ground there that you don't get the good deals because they will just invest more money, but probably a bit later on, I imagine? Mm. No, not
0: afraid. Uh, not afraid because for different reasons. So first of all, if we need to write bigger checks we, we have a pre-seed fund and we can do that. Um, and um, and secondly, the, the 20K to me is just part of a broader set of values that we will bring to the startups. We will bring networks of, of VCs, networks of corporates, networks of mentors. And the whole package, I think, is uh, is very much relevant. And even if a startup goes to Kick and S2S, still, I believe they will want our 20K because it's not just the money. It's the, the whole infrastructure behind it.
2: Makes sense. So now we talked about the new initiative, but we also, of course, wonder what you have planned over the next 12 months. So what do you have in store for us? What's your priority? What are your plans with the Wingman Campus Fund over the next year? Yeah, so if you look
0: at the next uh, month, uh, in April, we are opening the application call to build uh, our local teams. So we already identified and um, <clears throat> and uh, kind of onboarded the three so-called managing partners uh, at ETA, EPFL, and HeisGe. Uh, who will essentially be the leads or the leaders of the local investment teams. And now the intent of the application call of next month is to open up um, uh, the opportunity to join them and to join a team of around anywhere from five to 10 students that are part of each team. Uh, So so these are the priorities, the the short term priorities over the next three months, application call all the way to selection and onboarding of, of the other students. Uh, we will start operations in September, uh, writing, uh, hopefully, the first checks already at the end of September. Uh, and then, um, without going into too much details with the program, essentially, the program is rolling out uh, throughout the course of uh, the fall 2021 and spring 2022 term. And so, essentially, uh, until 12 months from now, the students will s- those pe- peculiar student teams will simply be investing.
2: Awesome. So, there are much more news to come. I'm very much looking forward to that. And we also wonder what's next for you personally, Edward. Any, you know, desire to go back to the founder's route or any other things that you want to tackle yourself besides being an investor, of course? Yep. So
0: <clears throat> Wingman Ventures, um, the opportunity to join the team, it, it, it really happened organically as I touched upon, as we touched upon a bit earlier. Uh, I think uh, I'm very much part of the Wingman Ventures team for uh, um, for some time, so I, I don't think uh, in the next 10, 15, 20 years, I, th- I think uh, there I found a great fit and we just want to build something really really cool together and so the the whole, um, I mean, the highest likelihood is that I'm part of the Wingman team for the long haul um, in the next decade yeah. or so probably.
2: Also playing long-term games there, I like it. Yeah. We also always like to ask our guests about their personal gadgets and resources. So, do you have any gadget or resources like websites, books, or blogs, podcasts that you can recommend to our listeners?
0: Yeah. So my routine is is quite uh, straightforward. I would look at um, the curation um, from AngelList. So it's angel.co slash today, and there you have some kind of feed with upvotes, and uh, you can look at kind of cool articles on a, on a daily basis. Um. I also read the Sifted Daily or Buy Daily, every second day newsletter, and this kind of lets me make sure that I'm kind of aware of everything that's going on in in Europe, or the main stuff. Beyond that, I I read a lot of stuff about Switzerland. Uh, It's not necessarily just for uh, my personal curiosity, but it's also uh, just part of the job. I need to know what's going on. Uh, but those, I would say, are the my, my uh, most go-to resources. I also do a little bit of podcast or blog here and there. Um, but those are the trivial ones. So I'm not going to tell you anything fancy. I would listen a bit to Jason Calacanis when it's about angels,
2: um, a few angels that I like and stuff like that. Basically, Makes sense. And on the more philosophical level, you're also a big follower and fan of the Naval Ravikant content, right? Yeah, I like uh, Naval a lot. I like uh, his... Uh, uh, f- uh, philosophic and
0: sometimes, um, uh, political standpoints, if I can say so, uh, he- he's very much for freedom. Uh, and yeah, I just like the personage, uh, the-, the person and his persona, um, he's someone very down to earth, humble, but still ha- can have strong opinions, uh, in certain instances. And,
2: uh, yeah. Is there anything in his content that is, you know, the most appealing to you or really appealing to you that you also want to, no, execute yourself one day it's it's, um, it, it's a few statements that uh, he would uh,
0: either talk about or write in in his blogs but uh, statements that uh, can inspire you and that sometimes you feel are spot on um, I don't have many in mind now but for instance uh he would tell you hey, very simple stuff, but, but that that is super actionable. And he tells you, hey, don't don't uh, don't aim for a, a wage all, all your life. Try to have ownership. Try to have some upside. You need that to get freedom. Um, yeah. So just uh, kind of day to day, you know, like uh, don't. Okay, let's say that you you. You are earning more money. Don't don't change your lifestyle uh, because then your savings won't change that much. Just keep it steady. Uh, keep uh, try to keep growing your wealth. Get the upside. So just
2: basic stuff that is actionable. Uh, yeah. But there I'm always surprised. You know, many people feel like I need to make more money, but it doesn't count how much money you make. Of course, to a certain degree, but it's actually way more important how much you save of that and can invest. So these are a few takeaways uh, that we can encourage people to look closer into the Nav- Naval content. Yeah, I know you're a big fan too. Uh, I think Naval is uh, tremendous, and I would recommend everyone to to take a look. 100%. So to finish off this episode, we have some rapid-fire fa- questions for you. I give you a choice, and you can quickly make the choice and explain in one sentence why you made that choice. Are you ready? Yep. So the first one, founding or investing. Founding, um,
0: founding, and I talk uh, on a third person, not me, um, founding because uh, I have so much respect for, for the founders. Uh, investing in a way we are comfortable. Uh, we look at cases, we decide. Founders, they take so much risk. Uh, they live steady lifestyles and, and they put it all in the balance. So uh, just for the respect that I have yeah. for them.
2: And without any founders, there probably wouldn't be any investors, right? You're right. Favorite place to live in the world? Oh,
0: that's a, that's a good one. And I debate about this, uh, back and forth with, with, uh. I know, that's why I put it in there. <laughs> <laughs> Look, for now, for, for now, uh, well, I live in Lausanne, but for, for now, I would have to say Montreux. So I would love to actually move away from Lausanne and, and, and yeah. settle in Montreux. Long run, it could be somewhere else. Um, but, but, but. We, we cannot complain about Switzerland. Um, if you look at the European landscape, um, you can be self-critical about yourself, and I am. Uh, there are still things about the country that I'm not happy with, like anyone uh, and any listener. But as a whole, still uh, uh, very much one of the best places to live in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. It's easy to forget about that. Seed or pre-seed? Pre-seed. Um, I love when... Um, when there is nothing. And there, mm-hmm. there are just two, three amazing founders um, that have the vision and uh, show a sense of execution. And I love to bet on people. So in a way, the Wingman Campus Fund, it's also um, the the um, embodiment of, uh, of our love as a fund, and also my love by transiti- transitivity to support founders as early as possible when they are just people, no, not a startup. Basically pre precede Yep, yep.
2: <laughs> Where do you actually go to think?
0: You know, I started the habit of uh, smoking pipes, believe it or not. <laughs> and sometimes in my living room or on my balcony, I would just uh, uh, light, uh, lighten up a, a, a pipe and just, uh, you know, the cool thing about it is that it's not like a cigarette where it's just uh, two minutes. Like you have a good 30 minutes and you just right. have a good time listening to music. So that would be one. Uh, but most of the time, it's obviously alone and uh, my flat um, balcony or living room.
2: Makes sense. And the last one, I'm really curious what you're gonna say here: Montreal, Zurich, or Montreux? Montreux. Easy choice.
0: Uh, easy, easy. It's a. Uh, I mean, I, I grew up uh, five minutes away from Montreux, uh, the, the the town of Vevey. <clears throat> For those who, well, actually, the headquarters of Nestlé is there. You, you might yeah. know about it. But Montreux is is obviously where I got uh, most of my childhood memories, and uh, you know. Uh, I'm living in Lausanne, every time I go back to Montreux, I have, uh, uh, it brings back memories and the vibe is so cool. There is a bit of, um, um, it reminds me somewhat of Southern France and uh, I could actually see myself live there in the long run. This is really uh, the spot for me.
2: Awesome. Eduard, thank you so much for stopping by. It was a pleasure talking to you and we wish you all the best and lots of success with everything you do at Wingman Ventures, but of course, also with the newly launched Campus Fund.
0: Hey Sylvan, thank you so much for having me uh invested time to to do this recording and to to release this podcast I appreciate it you had told me that your uh, studio was next level uh, I must say you were uh, right you were true you told me the <laughs> truth this is uh, next level this is really cool and I, I appreciate it. and we uh, the wingman ventures team appreciate that you took the time to do this
2: thank you so much thank you
1: Now that you've finished listening to the episode, why not top it off with a quick rating on Apple Podcasts? It's one of the best things you can do to help us reach more entrepreneurs just like you.